This is Conversations with Corliss, the leadership podcast that gives you real and authentic advice that can help you change your life for the better. Here we will listen to stories and have conversations with people who are just like you, people who are chasing their dreams and making them happen. Your host Corliss is a modern day purpose-driven leader. As an entrepreneur, she has developed a multi-million dollar business, leading thousands of people to discover their potential and reach their personal goals, all while balancing the responsibilities of raising her three children. She is a powerful, inspirational speaker, a certified success principles coach, and the founder and CEO of Corliss Co. Consulting Incorporated. Hi everyone, this is Conversations with Corliss, a real leadership podcast. Here we will talk about all the things it takes to bravely lead the life you deserve. Welcome to the conversation. You may have guessed it, my name is Corliss and I created this podcast simply because I want to help people and make a bigger impact. You see, one day I woke up in my 40s and realized time stands still for no one. I found myself coasting through life feeling unfulfilled, and deep inside, I knew there was more to me than I was living. I went looking for answers, and I found them by listening to inspiring people and having meaningful conversations. That is what we will do here for you. Whatever you are looking for, I am glad you are here. Aging has given me the invaluable insight that we should make every moment count. It's time to take charge of your life, to rise up and be all you can be. This podcast is meant to help you do that. So let's get started. Today's episode is being brought to you by Prairie Laser Ink and Toner, located in the beautiful community of Stonebridge in Saskatoon. Ink and Toner is an everyday essential for both business and home use. Prairie Laser Ink and Toner carries the largest number of brand name and compatible ink toner products in Saskatchewan. They can supply all your printing products with next day delivery to your business or home office during COVID. As a business owner myself, I always appreciate such personable service, especially when it saves me time. Prairie Laser Ink and Toner Supply is a family owned and operated Saskatoon business. They put customer service first, guarantee quality products, and will match any competitor's price in Saskatchewan. Support local and contact them today at 306-668-0070 or visit their website at prairielaser.com for a free quote or to place your order. This is episode 015, the nine lessons I learned from my father, Gordy Howe, with Dr. Murray Howe. Before we begin this conversation, I'd like to tell you a true story that is almost so unreal, I have a hard time believing it happened. As a matter of fact, if I heard it, I may not have believed it myself. It's one of those things that must be divinely guided because it's really incredible how it aligned. Several years ago, my family and I had enjoyed a beautiful sunny day on our favorite beach. It was such a great day and the weather was so warm that we decided to stay long after the crowds had left. The kids were playing along the shoreline and we had almost the entire beach to ourselves. My boyfriend motioned to the water and then said to me, I think that's Gordy Howe. I didn't watch a lot of hockey on TV when I was growing up, yet I was familiar with his name. He was a legend and I remember my dad talking about him. I looked towards the water and I had to shield my eyes as the sun was still shining brightly as it was setting. I said to him, well, you should go out there and ask. He was hesitant and said, no, I don't really want to interrupt their family time if it is him. He's kind of reserved that way. 
I, on the other hand, am not someone to let an opportunity pass by. So I got up and headed straight out into the water, and sure enough, it was Mr. Hockey himself with his son Murray and his grandson, also named Gordy. For the next hour or so, we visited in the water where we had the incredible opportunity to get to know him. He played with the kids on the beach, showed our sons how to react after they scored a goal, and gave them tips on how to get away with the penalty. I noticed the ring he had on his finger, and when I asked him if that was his Stanley Cup ring, he replied that they didn't do that back in the day, but that they did have this one especially made for him to commemorate his four Stanley Cup wins. When I asked to see it, he said, sure, let's put it on you. Then suddenly, there I was, standing knee-deep in water wearing the ring of a hockey legend. The ring was as massive and as great as the man it was made for. I recall stories from my childhood of people talking about how incredible this man was on and off the ice, and we got to witness it firsthand that day. After Gordy passed away in 2016, his son Murray wrote a book called The Nine Lessons I Learned From My Father in honor of his dad and the legacy he left behind. He returned to Saskatchewan to celebrate his father and take part in the weekend dedicated to him. As part of his visit, Dr. Murray Howe held a book signing event. We were excited to attend and get a copy. We took a seat at the back of the room and listened intently while the author shared passages from the book. Gordy was a true leader. He was someone to admire for his kindness, generous acts, and dedication to his craft. I knew everything I heard was true because we witnessed it personally. As he was reading, we quickly recognized that one of the stories he was reading from the book was of our meeting that beautiful summer day. Immediately, I was brought back to the extraordinary experience, and I couldn't help but smile as he quoted me and my enthusiasm. When the book presentation was complete, we waited in line for an autograph copy. During his presentation, Dr. Howe had promised to follow in his father's footsteps and that he would stay until the last person had a chance to speak with him. When our turn came, I said to him, good to see you again. With a puzzled look, he asked me to refresh his memory about where we had met. That was fair. I looked different fully clothed than in a swimsuit and sunglasses I was wearing the first time we met. With the same enthusiasm I had during our initial meeting, I responded, I'm the woman who bounded into the water. He immediately smiled and embraced me in the same kind and generous way his father did. We spent the next while catching up, talking about how much his dad enjoyed meeting us that day. I don't know for sure if Gordy Howe ever specifically designed what kind of legacy he wanted to leave behind, but what I do know is that one person has the power to make a difference and that each of us has the opportunity to lead others by how we show up and give of ourselves. As I reflect on the story, I am in awe of the power one individual can have, and sometimes it isn't until much later we recognize the impact of one small, seemingly insignificant experience that we have. When I met Murray and his father, I had just started writing my book, and yet the story of our magical meeting unknowingly made it into both books. Dr. Murray Howe and his wife Colleen and I have since become friends. He has attended my empowerment conference and we have sat signing our books together as authors. I still reflect on that as a pinch me moment and it all began with a chance meeting. Perhaps there really are no mistakes. Perhaps all is happening exactly as it's meant to. I have learned from the Howe family it's important to have a strong set of values to guide your life and that personal leadership is a choice. 
I am truly honored to have the chance to do this episode and give you the chance to become familiar with the lessons left for us by Mr. Gordy Howe through the eyes of his son. Through this story, I am hoping you will see that although you may not always see the big picture or know how things are going to unfold, there is a grander plan for you and it's important to keep believing that all will work out the way it's supposed to and that good things are coming. Hello, Murray, and welcome to the show. I believe that our story is so very unique, and I feel very blessed that we have the opportunity to continue our journey together by sharing this conversation. Oh, yeah, totally my pleasure, Corliss. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Well, your father was a true leader, and I feel that his accomplishments are really a reflection of not only his skill as a hockey player, but also how he showed up as a person. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what it was like to have Gordy Howe as your father? Oh, I'd love to. He's one of my favorite subjects. Um, you know, dad was just, he was, I was so fortunate to have him as my father because he was this legendary hero. I mean, he was kind of like an amalgamation of every Disney hero you've ever seen, just such a superhuman figure, but also so, so kind and gentle and really fun. And it was a great example for us just to, to, to see as, as um, kids growing up that you know, we realized that no matter how big you are or how, much, how, how strong you are, how many talents you have, that you're just really another person and um, that, you know, your calling really is just to make other people's lives better and more fun and more secure in whatever ways that you can. And so, you know, both my mom and dad kind of set that great, you know, that great example. And so as a little kid, we just kind of, we, dad was never afraid to do anything. Neither was my mom really. And uh, um, so if they, if they thought that they'd get a rise out of somebody by approaching them, if they didn't know them, they would just do that. And so it was a great lesson for us to just kind of, believe that anything is possible and that it, we should never doubt that if we get an idea to do something fun that we should just do it and um, not be afraid to you know reach out to people and to to you know to connect and and also to be available for for people whenever we went out to eat and somebody you could tell somebody was kind of they recognized dad and they were not sure if they should come over or not i mean Quite often, my mom or my dad would just walk over and say, "You know, if you want to talk to us, just come on, just come on over. Don't worry about it. You're not bothering us." And uh, so it, it it made every day really fun. I bet it did. And it sounds to me like they were just those people that were just so approachable and so authentic, and just basically recognize that we're all people, and no matter what level of success you have, we're all people underneath, right? Yeah, ab absolutely. And, and I think it's a great lesson for all the, um, you know, people who have achieved something big in life by society standards, be it an athlete or academician or, you know, politician, whatever it is that realize that we're really all just servants, you know, of each other. And that, you know, the fact that we've achieved something big doesn't mean we're you know, more important. It just means we have more responsibility to, you know, to give back and to, um, to, to lead um, by example 
to lift up everyone else to, you know, to achieve whatever their, whatever their dreams and goals are as well. I like how you've said that. And I can attest to not only Gordy, but also Dr. Murray, how that we're speaking with today, that he does that. Even the fact that he's taken the time to talk with me, mentor me, and share this conversation today really shows me, Murray, that you are truly leading by example, just like your father did. Thank you. You know, my mom and dad would probably hit me with a bolt of lightning if I, uh, you know, if I wasn't uh, kind and, and, and open. And, and uh, they taught us that really every, every time that we are asked or, you know, approached for, for something um, that, you know, we should do everything possible to make that happen because it's, it's a privilege really to be able to, to, to be able to help in, in whatever way that we can. So I, I was absolutely thrilled when you, you know, contacted me. A privilege. I like that word. It's a privilege to serve. I agree completely. So you've mentioned your mom a couple times here. And of course, we're talking a lot about your dad. But in recent conversations, I happen to know that you contributed a lot of your dad's success to the support of your mom. Could you tell us a little bit about their relationship and why you feel this way? Yes, um, they had a they had a great relationship. Um, they were an excellent example of, of true devotion to each other they were just so um so un um unhesitantly loving <laughs> to each other and uh loyal to each other and it was just you know it was a great example for our own marriages you know for my my brothers and sister and and, and i and uh um and it was just so inspiring we just knew that you know, mom and dad would always be together. And that's, that's a very, um, you know, it's a really comforting, you know, comforting thing. And uh, um, they complemented each other really well. The things that dad were, that were not his strengths, really were my mom's strengths and vice versa. Um, dad loved just, you know, interacting with people and being very, physical and you know training hard in hockey and and uh, joking around with people but he did not like anything to do with money or you know bank accounts or anything like that so mom handled all the finances and um all that stuff and she liked to do that um and um so she she was kind of the idea generator and pretty much the um, the the entertainment and travel coordinator, she would pretty much say, hey, let's go, you know, to this, let's go visit these people or let's go out to dinner here or let's go, you know, on a trip here or whatever. And dad would say, that sounds great. <laughs> and, and, you know, dad really wasn't, he, he wasn't an initiator. He was a, he was a, um, uh, a great sidekick, you know, so if there's anywhere you wanted to go, he would go there and, and make it really fun, but he, he never really had ideas about let's go to this movie or let's do this, but he would, he would just have a blast doing whatever it was that, that you wanted to do. So they complemented each other just so perfectly uh, that way. And also dad was so bigger than so much bigger than life. And he really needed the support of somebody who could allow him to to give a lot of his time to his fans and to the public. And mom was perfect in that role. She was able to, 
to just um, sit back in the wings patiently, you know, waiting for him and not feel, oh, you know, he gets all the spotlight and I don't or whatever. And, and so she was just great at, at filling that role of, of, you know, helping Mr. Hockey to still be Mr. Hockey. And uh, um, so I'm very, very grateful that they, you know, that they uh, uh, met and had me and, and, and all that. <laughs> well, I am too. I'm really glad that they had you. It sounds like they were a team on and off the ice. So your dad was, of course, on the hockey team and your mom was the team at home. So my guess would be that she took over a lot of the roles that not only he didn't like, but they gave him an opportunity to focus on his career because she was caring for the other things, caring for the home, for the family. It was a, it was a teamwork, right? Oh, com completely. And as successful as dad was in hockey, you know, he, they realized that after the first time that he retired after 25 years, um, that the, the pension from the NHL was not going to be enough to, to live on, uh, not even close. I think it was $6,000 a year. And, um, you know, this is in the, this is in the mid seventies. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's worth a little bit more than that now, but it's still, it's really, it's, it's really not enough to live on. And uh, so they realized that they needed to do something, you know, more. And, and so mom pretty much took that bull by the horns and made sure that, that uh, dad was, you know, available. And he worked, you know, for the, the wings for a while, but that just was not a satisfying position for him. So um, she, you know, she, she started a travel agency. She published a number of books. Um, she arranged all of his appearances and, you know, they made it work. They didn't really care to have tons of money, but they wanted to make sure they had enough money to be able to, you know, t travel every once in a while and put food on the table. And uh, so uh, mom was able to make that happen. And it was fun for her too. She, there were so many things that she wanted to do. Um, and she, she had a, uh, not only a travel company, but a uh, insurance agency. Um, uh, she did real estate for a while. She ran for Congress um, and they, they invested in cattle and in real estate. And it, you know, they just, there were so many different things. And, and that was all, you know, mom's doing. And mom did that on top of starting the first junior hockey program in the United States or one of the first with the Detroit junior wings. And she was the founder and the manager and the, 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 the treasurer and she, she just did it all and, and uh, she created an incredibly successful program kind of as a hobby, you know, and uh, so it was pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. And, um, and they were really inseparable. Uh, they traveled so much together when, when dad would do appearances, mom would, you know, be his sidekick and just make sure that he was, you know, being taken care of when he was there and getting some time to sleep and, and all that. He, he learned early on, he would go out and do some appearances where he would travel somewhere and, you know, people would keep him out to three or four in the morning because they wanted to introduce him to all their family and friends. And, he, you know, he, he would have to get up at six or seven in the morning, get on an airplane. So anyway, so mom was really good at protecting him as well. 
<laughs> I love that. She truly sounds like an inspirational woman. And I did not know all of these stories. So when she started this travel agency, real estate, all these other things that she did. So how many years was this? Like at what age were they when this all started to happen? Yeah. So that was right around 19, uh, around 1970, I would say when she, she put on the business hat, it was pretty much just before dad retired. I think it was when, when, when they learned what his pension was going to be, um, she said, oh gosh, we got to do, <laughs> we have to do something. So that's when she, that's when she put on her business hat. And, uh, um, and that was also around that time was when my dad learned that, that he was being paid um, a lot less than many of the other players. He was always told by the Red Wings that he was the highest paid player in the NHL by far. And one of his teammates told him that the teammate was making twice as much as he was. And um, so my mom at that point, she, that's when she became a professional um, you know, sports agent the first woman ever to do that um she just said you know gordy you you're really good at putting the puck in the net and you're really good at being kind to people but you're not good at negotiating your salary so i'm going to do it for you and uh, so she each year you only had one year contracts back then and this was yeah about 1968 69 um she um uh contract she she went into the <laughs> wings offices and and uh, they said well where's gordy and she says well i'm i'm negotiating for him i'm his agent and they said well we we don't deal with women and she said well then go you'll have to trade gordy because i'm his agent and so they said okay fine sit down and so she negotiated basically a a, a huge pay increase she just said you know you've always told him he sh he's should be the you know he's the top paid player in the NHL. So she just asked to be paid that. And it was still a pretty conservative salary compared to, compared to nowadays, but it was at least he was being paid more of what he was, you know, what he was worth at the time. And, and, um, um, and after that, my dad said, wow, that's super. You can, you can do that every year for me. <laughs> This is making me laugh because I'm kind of envisioning that. It's like, well, if you're not going to negotiate with a woman, then I guess you find yourself in a in a predicament, don't you? How old was she when this happened? So she would have been, let's see. So she was born in uh, 1933. So uh, she, let's see, that would have been like, so 53. So yeah, that would have put her, what's that put her at? 50 let's see, 30, 50, 83. So it was actually well before that. So she was, uh, got to do the math again there. So 33 to 40, that's seven years, 40 to 70 is 30, 37. So basically 36 years old, roughly. Wow, that's great. I like it. I like it a lot. And again, you and I have something that we're aligned on that I didn't know that I've just discovered because my mom entered the workforce and she was actually turning 60 when she applied and got her very first job for her own personal reasons. But interesting when, you know, you could take your place and it's never too late, right? Oh, and it's not. And I think, you know, back in mom's day, I think it was understood that, you know, women weren't supposed to do anything in business, number one. And number two, if you didn't have a college education, you know, 
you you had no business being anything in the business world or being an author or whatever it was like you that was a credential that that was understood to 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 be required and and mom graduated from high school but didn't didn't go to college and so i think she was always a little bit uh self-conscious about that but as she went along through you know the college of of life she realized that wow you know i can do <laughs> i can do these things that these people are doing way better than especially a lot of the management in the hockey world she's like these guys don't know what they're doing and uh you know so she and she was right she was able to do so many things i mean the junior hockey program they said you'll never get it off the ground and she was able to just you know create this incredibly successful program you know just from from scratch and uh i don't know i think like five or six players from that one team ended up playing pro two were my brothers of course but you know they they were and and i think ha at least half the team got college scholarships for hockey so you know she really knew how to do it right just by being you know common using common sense and uh you know uh, uh, attitude of perseverance. You know, she kind of reminds me of you, Corliss, I, I would have to say. <laughs> well, thank you. I wish I would have had a chance to meet her, but I guess I'll get to know her through her son, including her da your dad as well. Um, okay, so you have talked about, you know, dreams and aspiring to be, and I, I know that at one point you thought maybe your dream was to become a professional hockey player like your dad, and when it didn't go that way, you know, how did your parents handle it? Like, what was that like? Well, it was, it, it was the best that it could have possibly been. I mean, for me, it was devastating because all I wanted to do from the time I was old enough to remember was to be a pro hockey player like my dad and then eventually like my brothers. And I just assumed that that was what I was supposed to do. And I, I loved playing hockey, but it just got more and more difficult as I got up into my the junior ranks just because I, I am not the biggest person on the planet, you know, about a five, six and 140 pounds soaking wet. And uh, so, at, you know, I started taking a lot of hard hits and it just became more and more challenging. But we also learned in the Howe family to never back down, not be afraid and to just keep, you know, persevering. So um, I wasn't going to stop until somebody told me that I could not proceed any further. And uh, so, yeah, when I got cut from University of Michigan's team in my freshman year, um, my, you know, I didn't know how they were going to react. I, I didn't feel any pressure from them to play hockey. They had always told us just do what's fun. Don't, you know, don't play hockey for our benefit. We, we really don't care about that, but still, you know, calling them and just saying, you know, well, I'm the first however to be cut from a hockey team. Um, you know, my, my, my mom said, great, we don't have to worry about you anymore. And, uh, um, and my dad said, you know, you just didn't seem like you were having that much fun anyway. And, and he was right. It was pretty much um, just by, by that time, it was such a, it was such a struggle um, that, uh, you know, I think I was more worried about getting my head taken off than I was about, uh, you know, scoring a goal. And, and, um, so it was a huge relief because it was, it was clear that they, all they wanted was for me to be happy and to, you know, to, to follow my dreams and that it had nothing to do with, you know, playing hockey. And, uh, 
and that realization allowed me to just proceed with with thinking about what I really love and and I loved sciences I loved writing so I just buried myself into those into those passions um, from there on out and um, it did really well and college was able to you know was fortunate enough to go to medical school and to do you know do some writing later um, and uh, and my parents were always thrilled for that they were thrilled to have a doctor in the family and they were more thrilled to just know that their son was happy as a clam um, doing the things that he was now doing you know I just felt like I'd found my I'd found my tribe you know Oh, I really like that. And I really love the way that your parents, you were probably nervous to tell them. And like when that, when you got cut and it was your dream and really they just want you to be happy and they just want you to be safe and they want you to do what brings you joy. I mean, that's a, that's pretty wonderful. And what a great example they were for you. Yeah, they really were. And for all, yeah, for all the how kids, they, they really never pressured us to be anything. And they would on a regular basis say, are you sure you're doing what you want? You know, don't, if you if you want to quit and do something else, don't worry about it. Blah blah blah. And, and but it's one thing when they say it, but it's another when you actually announce that you're gonna do it. Then that's when the rubber meets the road. And and uh, yeah, it was just such a breath of fresh air. And so we've tried to live that for our own kids. When, as we've raised them, we've just you know it, it encouraged them to just do what they love and not worry about what anybody else thinks that they should be. Oh, I really like that because leadership too is about that, right? To me, it's like the rubber hits the road, like what you said. If we just center ourselves on not only thinking it, but actually practicing it, then we're really being a leadership example for everyone around us. Right. I agree. I think a good, a solid leader is really somebody who brings out the best in every person by giving them permission to to be, you know, to use their talents, like to, to pursue their talents and their passions and be everything that they're meant to be. And so really a good leader gets out of the way of, of the person so that they can, so that they can really, they can really soar at whatever it is that they do well. And, and uh, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of more of a, a you know, a, a conductor, you know, in an orchestra, and you, you don't want to be trying to play anybody's instrument. You want to just bring them up, bring it out and bring it up. Holy smokes. I, somebody just called me an orchestrator the other day when I coordinated a conference. And I, I, now you just say that. I'm like, you know, that really is how I feel about it. I love to see people shine and I like to put them in the spotlight to share and to grow. And I believe that we all really rise by sharing our gifts with each other. Yes. Yes, absolutely. You've re referenced, and I don't know if you know that you've used this word a few times, but you have throughout this interview, you've said, feel so blessed, feel very fortunate. It sounds to me like you practice gratitude in just how you see life. Is that something that you do consistently? Do you have to be aware of it or consciously choose it? Or is it just how you're living your life? Well, I think both both of my parents really, really ingrained in us um, uh, a an attitude of gratitude and, and and just emphasized how important it is to never um, uh, never take for granted all the gifts that you've been given, never waste them, um, and 
um, over time, I've realized that it's easy to fall out of that when things get a little bit rough. You start saying, oh, poor me, I'm this or that or whatever. And so I've developed some practices to, to really cultivate, continue to cultivate, cultivate my gratitude. Um, and that is really, really through prayer. I, I uh, pray when I wake up in the morning. I pray when I go to bed and as a part of that prayer is that, you know, is the Thanksgiving and that's really where the gratitude, I think where you can really, really um, uh, uh, catalyze it. You, you start to go through all the things that you're thankful for. And when you do that, before you go to bed, when you wake up in the morning, boom, those things just hit you like a, a sledgehammer. You realize wow, how fortunate I am. I'm going, I'm going to a job that I just love. And wow, I, you know, this woman that's in the bed next to me, how fortunate I am to be married to her. And how fortunate am I am, am I to have the kids that I have and, and have them all be doing things that they love. And, and, um, you know, so I'm, I'm hyper aware of those things. And then Pretty much throughout the day, whenever whenever things get a little bit challenging, that's when I just fall back into prayer again and just and 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 uh, re-energize. And so there's there's a there's an intentional uh, uh, you know gratitude going on there. And and uh, yeah, I think it's I think if, if you looked at, if there was one virtue that defined my dad and my mom, it would definitely be gratitude. Um, I, I don't know, no matter how bad things were for dad, you could always, he would always, you know, tell you, yeah, but you know, I'm so fortunate because of this or that. He would, he would, he would not, never see himself, you know, as a victim. He would always see himself as truly blessed. Could you give us an example of that? So he had challenges. It wasn't always smooth sailing, Right. And he practiced gratitude and, you know, looked at it the other side. Can you give us an example of that? Well, for sure. I, I, I would say every, every time he got injured, he, he would, uh, uh, you know, he would say, oh, wow, my wrist really hurts because he had have a wrist fracture or whatever in, in a cast, whatever. He'd, but he'd say, wow, how fortunate though am I that I'm getting paid to do something that I love, that I love so much. And I know when I get this cast off that I am going to, I'm going to make every moment count back on the, back on the ice. So, you know, he wouldn't lament about the injury. He would just focus on, you know, what, uh, what he, what, what he still had was just, you know, that, that opportunity to play that game that he loved. I like getting to know your dad through you. I, I just, he just sounds like such a, a very amazing person and just such a great perspective and great attitude. But he was a big monster of a man too. Like he would just go out there and do his job, wouldn't he? And love it. Oh yeah. And he felt a responsibility. You know, one of, his, one of my favorite sayings of his was a, a healthy body check will be remembered. Um, and so he took his job very seriously um, he knew that if he went lightly on an opponent, that that would give that opponent more room and more license to, um, you know, to do damage to their, their team. And, 
Um, so every time he hit a player on the other team, he would give them everything he had so that they were less likely to want to touch the puck, you know, uh, again, um, you know, some would say, Oh, you know, he was vicious or dirty or whatever, but he, he, there was a, a gray area there in the rules, but he, he had a code of honor that he followed and, and he never would intentionally hurt a player, at least not, at least not permanently. I mean, he might, he might give somebody a, a little cut on the cheek if they, if they did something to him that he thought was, you know, life-threatening to himself, but it was always very controlled. He would not, he would not ever try to, as they say, end somebody's career or, uh, you know, uh, permanently, permanently injure somebody. And, um, but he felt that that was really a part of his responsibility as a hockey player to absolutely put it out on the line 100% every time he was on that ice. And that's why he was so feared by the other team because they knew Gordie Howe was not going to have an off night. <laughs> he, they knew if he was on the ice and they had the puck that chances are they were going to get drilled. And that's, you know, that's a part of the, it's a part of the game. And, and it would drive my dad crazy if he would see a player kind of let up on somebody or whatever, because they were just not, their head wasn't in the game or, you know, they just were, were just kind of floating, uh, floating through the, 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 you know, the, the game. And uh, so he was very intense on the ice and he, you know, he just felt it was his responsibility. And he also said too, that um, he, he knew that there would be many people at the game that this might be the only time they would ever see him play. And they were just coming to see Gordie Howe play. And so he wanted to make sure that they knew the kind of player that he was and they got their money's worth and that he was not going to, he wasn't going to, he was going to make a memory for them. (laughs) You know, not everybody is going to become a professional athlete, obviously. But what I'm hearing through his example is that whatever it is that you're pursuing, put it on the line and really take it seriously and really show up. Is that kind of the, the moral of the story of the example that he sets there? Without a doubt. And he, he often said to me that, you know, Murray, whatever you do, just do it the best that you can possibly do. It has your signature on it, whether it's making your bed, doing the dishes, um, you know, doing a, an examination, a test, um, or doing a hockey practice, doing any drill, whatever it is, you, you're putting your signature on it. So make sure that you leave, you, you leave a mark there. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think it's a great, I think it's a great lesson for everybody that, you know, you can either kind of go through the motions or you can really make the best of it. And when you do, you continue to grow, um, in, in whatever it is that you're, that you're, that you're doing. And, and you can also feel good. You can go to sleep at night knowing that you gave your very best. He, he, when he would finish a hockey game, it really didn't matter whether they won or lost because he knew he had put it out on the line and, and there was nothing more he possibly could have done to have, you know, influenced the, the game. So he never held his head down if they lost and he didn't hold it too high 
when they won either because he knew that it was a it was a team effort as well but i think to be a really uh successful in anything be it an athlete or whatever your career is you need to be focused that way you need to be focused not on perhaps the result but on on the things that you can the things that you can do which is basically putting forth your best effort and if you can honestly say you gave it everything you had then you can you can sleep well knowing that that's what you that's what you did and dad always said too that when you do that that good things will happen you you don't have to worry if you if you didn't get a certain job that you were shooting for or whatever because if you keep if you keep at it you're going to get the right you know the thing that you were hoping for it might not even be the way that you imagined it happening but good things are going to happen for you because you are you are you know you are um relentless in your pursuit of doing you know of doing of doing a good job and people recognize that they want somebody on their team that is always doing their best and being an example for the other people and especially for him as you know the leading scorer and everything in the league it would have been very easy for him to kind of start to coast a little bit pick up four stanley cup rings and then you just get a little bit complacent but he never did that he was always the first one on the ice for practice and the last one off and be working with all the the rookies showing them little you know tricks and 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 so that makes everybody want to be a better player and and i think and whether it's hockey or whatever your career is you want to be that person that everyone else looks up to in the office or whatever that they say wow that person is always giving it everything they can they can and they're always you know trying to help everyone else around them they're not it's not about a big ego or whatever it's just they are a true team player. So then you develop a team full of team players and then you win the Stanley Cup. <laughs> and whatever it is that you're doing. So for everyone who is listening, the key message here, like really pause for a moment, just think about it. So that if you give your best every single day, you can go to bed at night being proud of yourself because you gave it everything that you've got. So I really like that, that standard. And I think that's one of the values that guided his life, right? Oh, abs- yeah, absolutely. Every, yeah, every, every moment. I can't, have, I can't think of anything that he didn't do to the best of his ability. And it wasn't that he was perfect in everything. He, um, he, he had a, he, he was dyslexic, so he really could not read. It was very difficult for him to read. Um, he, he never read a book from cover to cover. And, and uh, um, he wrote me two letters in his life. And I just, those were two of my most treasured memories because I knew what it had to mean for him to, you know, to put together two pages. And uh, um, so, but you, you better believe that that letter took all of his uh, greatest effort that he could muster to make sure it was a well-written, they were well-written letters and they had spelling errors and things like that, but they, the, 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 the heart was there because he, it probably took him five hours to write each one. I'm, I, I'm sure. Um, but that's how he, that's how he did everything. He just gave it the best that he could do. It wasn't the, wasn't the best of everybody, but it was the best that he could do. Mm. 
You uh, were talking about your father, and this reminds me of a conversation I was having with a friend not that long ago, and he was telling me about how his father raised him and how it was never about his father's standards. His dad taught him about having his own standards. So I asked him to explain what that meant because, of course, I'm raising a son myself. And he said, well, it kind of went like this. Like, if I'd make my bed in the morning, my dad would say, are you proud of the job that you've done there? Is that your best? He said it didn't matter what it was, what he was doing, whether it was making his bed, stacking wood, cutting the grass. It was just was that your best? Because if you gave your best, then that's good enough. And he said a lot of times he would reflect and be, you know, that's not my best. I could do better. And it made him want to rise up and have standards for himself to give his best. So sounds like it's kind of the same thing. And it's a great way to maybe lead our children. I agree. Because you really want to, you, 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 you don't want to be watching over your children. You want to empower them to watch over themselves in terms of saying, yes, this is, this, I can do more, right? Or I can, you know, I, I can do better at this or, or no, I've, this is, this is great. This is, you know, this is, mm -hmm. I've, I've done my best. And yeah, so that's, I think that that's a part of really, you know, uh, helping a child to mature is to, is to teach them to be their own best, uh, you know, uh, uh, judge or not a judge isn't the right word but their their best advocate and coach coach is the right word say <laughs> mm -hmm. so, yeah that you did that right or yeah let's try that again you know agreed and i i asked him after i said well did that put a lot of pressure on you and he goes no you know i knew my dad like underneath expected the best but he wasn't judging me because it wasn't about what he thought it was what i thought of myself and he said one day i said to him like i i didn't even say you know is it good enough i said to him i did my best and he was referencing stacking wood that was the particular job that he had and his dad said well then you should be really proud of yourself and I thought what a great what a great way to empower your children but also have them bring their best but then feel good about giving it as well I agree I think it's yeah that's a very profound profound observation hey everyone are you missing motivation do you have a project you know you should do but you can't seem to get inspired to do it are you missing that something that gives you energy to get up and add it in the morning? Or have you found yourself in a new space and are trying to figure out how to restart? Over the past 26 years as an entrepreneur, I have learned a powerful system that works for me to find my self-motivation to set and achieve my goals, and I want to share it with you. My new course is called Seven Steps to Self-Motivation and Success, and it's being offered right now for a massive discount. Go check it out at www.corliss.ca backslash shop backslash seven steps. That's the number seven. Here it is again, www.corliss.ca backslash s-h-o-p backslash seven s-t-e-p-s. You'll be so glad you did. You were talking about your dad. Now you wrote a book and I, by the way, I want to endorse it. I want to recommend everybody get it because I've read it myself. I've gifted it to someone else. It really is such a powerful book and it's so written with such heart. I, I just love it. I just want everyone to read it. So it's called The Nine Lessons I Learned from My Father. And 
I mean, we probably talked about some of the lessons here already, but is there any other lessons that you feel were significantly important that you want to, you know, make sure the audience, I guess, understands now before they read the book? Sure. I mean, all of them are so important and, and, and empowering to just kind of use that word again. But um, one that stands out right now during the COVID crisis is, is treasure your family. And uh, I think it really, at a time like this, where um, we just have a lot more time with our family, I think, I think that, that, um, that lesson really crystallizes. You realize how important your family is to you and how great it is to be able to spend a little bit more time with them than you anticipated. Um, I, it warms my heart as I see families out walking with the mom and dad and the kids all together. You just don't see that very often other than maybe when somebody's on vacation, if you're you know, at some, some uh, national park or whatever, you might see the family together. But to see the family together walking down the street at near home, that just doesn't happen anymore. And uh, it's wonderful to see. And I know so many of, uh, of my work colleagues and, and, uh, and, and my extended family here um, that they're able to spend time with their little ones. My son, Corey, who lives in Saskatoon uh, with his wife, Davis, and, and our grandson, Hart. And uh, Corey, uh, has, he, he's been furloughed from University of Saskatchewan temporarily, and, and uh, it's allowed him to be able to spend all this time with Hart and with Davis that he never would have been able to do. And um, it's been beautiful. And I, 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 I just, I love seeing that. And I think, I think that it really, um, you know, helps hit home. I, I, I think after this is all over that many families are going to be different. I think that many husbands and or, you know, wives are going to say, you know what, I think I want to work a little less and spend a little bit more time or I just want to engineer my job in a way, maybe work from home more so that I can be together with my whole family because I really loved that time. And uh, both my mom and dad were really good at, at teaching us to, um, to, to, to treasure our family and never, um, never take them for granted. Um, I know that the, the, my dad, he absolutely adored his mother and she passed away. Uh, and I write about this in the book a little bit, but um, when she was in her mid seventies, she and my grandpa had come up to our cabin in Michigan to, to visit. And, and um, my mom and dad had to go to an event, I think in Toronto just for a weekend. And so my grandparents were staying with us and my my grandmother ended up uh, stepping through a door that she thought was a door to the bathroom, but it was the door to the downstairs. And so she passed away and uh, you know, my dad couldn't believe it. And he never would have imagined that when he said goodbye to go to Toronto, that was the last time he would see his mom. And, and I think for him that especially hit home that he, he realized that you, you can never, assume that when you're with somebody that you're going to see them again. So 
I think from that point forward, he really acted like this was maybe the last time he would see you. And so he, <laughs> he would hug you extra hard and just spend that much more time, um, you know, talking to you and, and, um, you know, interacting with you. So um, it's kind of how we live our lives now in our, in our family. We, we always, every time we are, one of us is leaving the house, we say, I love you. And we, um, you know, wish you to be safe and, and all that. And we look forward to the next time that we're going to be together. And, and so I think if, and when I, well, when I pass away, I believe that all of my kids will know that I love them as much as anybody can love another person. And, and that gives me great comfort just knowing that they, that they, that, that they will be able to carry that gift with them. That's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Would you like to just touch on the other eight lessons? Sure. Um, it, they're, 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 they're all, they're all great. And, you know, Mr. Hockey was, he was kind of a poster child for like, how do you do everything? Well, there was just there, as I say, he struggled, he struggled academically, although ironically, he was very wise, very smart. He was great at math, very quick at math, but you know, with the dyslexia, he was challenging for him to read. But in terms of virtues, he just seemed to do everything so well and just instinctively uh, not only knew what he should do, but he was tireless in, in doing it. And I think it was his gratitude that fueled his ability to keep on doing so many things so well. He was one of the funniest people I ever met. And he always seemed to have new jokes and he always seemed to be not afraid to to try them out on everybody or joke around at whatever. He always just seemed to know what to say to make everybody laugh in whatever the situation was. So he was that was one of the lessons is is play hard, train hard in whatever you're doing, work your give your best, but also have fun. And he 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 said, Don't what what's the point of doing something if you're not having fun with it? You know, life is too short. Make sure you're doing what you, you love and, and keep it fun. I think it was a part of his ability to be such a great hockey player. Is he, every game was fun for him. I mean, he, he was intense, but it was also he, he had a blast trying little new things in each game, being creative and um, all that. So he kept it fun. And that's, it's, you, if, if it's not fun, you're not going to be, you're not going to do it well. So you, you, you get it. That's, that's super important. Um, another was to be honorable. Uh, he, he was such an honorable person and, 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 and honor for me is pretty much just about being, being good, which kind of means being, putting others needs or, or the greater good before your own so it, it's just about um, in any situation doing the right thing. And he, he knew that because he was in the spotlight, people would always be watching what he would do. And he never wanted to disappoint a, a fan by do, doing something that wasn't, you know, wasn't good, being selfish or, or whatever. So, 
So he was always so, he always so honorable that way. He just, you could depend upon him. If somebody, if we were driving somewhere and somebody was on the side of the road and needed help or he stopped, just it didn't matter what else was going on. He just stopped. And uh, he was, so he, he truly was very honorable that way. Um, generous. He just never cared about money. He just, you know, it's, he, he, it didn't, it did, if he knew somebody needed money for something, he would just, just give it to him. And it's, it's just, it's just how he was. And he was so generous with his time as well. Um, he was always the, the last player out of the rink because he, uh, he felt he owed it to the fans. And um, I, I can't even imagine how he did it. Cause you know, I do a lot of book appearances and they're super fun, but after about three or four hours, you're pretty worn out. Uh, but he would just keep going and going. And it was, it was, it was just, I, I don't know how he did it for, I, I'm sure he signed more autographs than any human being that I can think of. I just, I, he just, you know, he was just so tireless that way. Uh, toughness, he, he, being tough was another lesson. He just, he just, it didn't matter if he had a broken bone or whatever, whatever it was, he just would just kind of grin and bear it. And you would never know that he was hurt. He, he, it wouldn't stop him from, if he, if we were going to go on a hike or something, he, if he had a broken ankle, he would just, he would just do it. And then afterwards you would see that, wow, he just did that with a broken ankle. And uh, because he, he didn't want to disappoint, you know? Uh, so he was, and, and that, that's how you get through 32 professional years without a, a uh, helmet is you, you know, you're, you're, you're so tough like that. Um, let's see, uh, selfless, pretty much everything that he, every moment that he lived, it was always about just thinking about other people and not about himself. So he would just, um, if, if he was shoveling snow, he would, he would never just do his own driveway. He would do everybody else's driveway around him and um, open doors for people, always open my mom's uh, door and um, just constantly thinking about others. He would never eat his food. He would never touch his food until everybody else had started to dig in. You just, you couldn't get him to, you couldn't get him to budge that way. Humble. I mean, I, I don't know how somebody gets to be as, has have as many accomplishments as somebody like Gordy Howe and yet just think of himself as just a regular Joe. It's, it's, it's so uncommon, uh, but that's exactly how he was. And his, his saying about that was never read your own press clippings, you'll start to believe them. And it's a great way to live that you, you never, you don't, you, you shouldn't look to other people, you know, or the, the media for your value. It's, it's, it's intrinsic. It's, you know, the fact that, God loves you is all that you need to know. And, uh, and that's, it's an audience of one. If you, if you impress your maker, that's all you really, that's your job, not, you know, impressing other people. And so because of that, because he was so humble, he, he never worried about if he failed at something, it wasn't, it was, you know, he, he, it wasn't his ego at stake. It was, it was just another day and he was going to soldier on and, and, uh, you know, work harder at it. Uh, pot, be positive. Um, uh, one of the other lessons, I mean, he was the most positive person I ever knew. He just, he could see the silver lining in everything. 
just just like in COVID, I, I could just see him looking, you know, forward to being able to talk to everybody socially distantly um, and uh, and make the make the best of it. He would love seeing all the little kids out running around, you know, playing around and and all that. And and uh, he would, you know, he would he would know that there was a reason for it. Uh, I think I touched on most of them there. I don't know if I missed any or not. Um, but that's that's most of them. <laughs> <laughs> and every single one of them spoke directly to my heart, and I'll bet you it did to the audience as well. So many very simple and practical values that perhaps they get lost a little bit along the way as we're trying to, you know, navigate life and go through the changes with the social media world and how you're supposed to show up authentically and I really love what you said about, you know, you've got to be loved by number one. And that's really who, who you're really looking to impress. That one really hit home for me. And I'm sure for the audience, you know, each person took one, two, three, maybe all nine lessons to heart. And I'm, I'm grateful that you took the time to share all of those with us. Now, I want to go back to a, a private conversation that you and I had a while ago when you had so graciously taken the time to read my book before it was published. And you had shared a, a personal thought with me about creating purpose and the importance of doing what a person feels called to do. Would you like to share those thoughts with the listeners? Well, sure. I, I believe that we are all wonderfully, perfectly made and given a, a unique set of talents uh, and gifts that nobody else has. No one else can be you other than, other than you. And so I believe that we're called to cultivate those gifts and use those gifts to serve, to serve others. And that when we do that, that's how we receive our satisfaction or our joy it comes from really fulfilling our destiny and it can be hard I think to kind of know what that destiny is but I think if you start to think about what do you really love to do then it can start to fall into fall into place and uh, you just if you just follow follow that uh, follow your passions it's going to lead you where you are ultimately supposed to be and uh, it, 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 I think it's it's just about trusting in that and knowing that you are valuable in whatever the whatever those passions and talents are you are you are valuable uniquely valuable in that way and the world is just not the same without you the world needs you to be able to fulfill your destiny hmm great Great share. I know we had talked a little bit about how, you know, the purpose of our lives is so much fulfilled by just embracing our gifts and embracing what we're passionate about and then giving our very best and, you know, coming from a service-based perspective. And you have, since the moment I met you, you have been exactly that. And I cannot thank you enough for sharing today, but also for contributing to my growth and, my success as an author and for attending my conference and for sharing in this conversation, your dad and your mom would be so proud of you, Murray. Thank you. Thank you, Corliss. That's so, that's so kind of you to say. And I just, yeah, I, I, uh, I hope that I always fulfill what, what, uh, you know, a, 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 at least a small fraction of what they wanted, you know, for me. 
I would say that you definitely are. All right. I have three closing questions. Every time I'm around you, I could just talk with you all day. However, (laughs) and you know, for the audience, when I met Murray at his book launch, the same thing happened. He hours and hours, he's standing there signing autographs for people. And then I had to be that very last person so that I could get 100% of his attention. And he stood there and he talked with me and he talked with me. You're so much like your father. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a joy. I I was so tickled, Pink, to uh, meet up with you again um, at the at the uh, the book appearance, and to hear um, e- your story that you were the person that I talked about in 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 uh, in the story in the book. And it was really fun. It really was fun. All right. I have three closing questions that I ask all of my guests. Uh, the first one is. What does leadership mean to you? To me, leadership is really, it's really about um, empowering others to be all that they are, are, are meant to be. And uh, it's, it's done, I think, by leading by example. Uh, when you, uh, I think a good, a good leader uh, basically does some of the things that we talked about just gives their very, very best always is selfless is always looking for uh, ways to, um, to meet the needs of other people to help them to achieve all that they are, all that they're, they're meant to be. So to me, a leader is just somebody who really, really brings out the best in you. Hmm. Great perspective. Thanks for sharing that. And is there a book or a podcast that you'd like to recommend for the audience right now? Maybe something that's impacted you, you know, earlier, or maybe is really impacting you now. There are there's so many, there's so many great ones, but really the the, the it, it, if I have to choose one, if I the 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 book that impacted me the most was reading the red line version of the of the new testament um reading basically what i what i did probably 20 years ago now is um when i went it was kind of i was i was i was pretty much an atheist until my mom um got sick and you know got a dementia and was was uh we we knew that her time was limited on earth and i just kind of went into a downward spiral, not wondering who am I and what's life all about? What are we here for? And um, uh, a friend encouraged me to kind of dive into this Bible thing that I'd never really cracked open. And so I basically read every verse that, that Christ had said. And as I went through that, because um, at the time, really, I wasn't, I wasn't, really necessarily convinced of, 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 of who Christ was, but I was convinced that he was a wise person. And as I read that, there was just so many profound teachings in there, just ways of, ways of, of thinking of, of other people and how to live and what your meaning is on life, your purpose in life. And it it, it it was so beautiful and inspiring that it changed me for forever. And the 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 one thing about Mr. Hockey, as great as he was, 
it really took him a long time, I think, to come to faith. It was, it was towards, the end of his, towards the end of his life when he was really, really uh, struggled. And, you know, um, he kind of was struggling for his own purpose. And, uh, and so I, that was something that was kind of lacking in my own life, was really a foundation. And it was kind of losing my mom that made me realize how flimsy my foundation was that I needed to kind of understand more about what we're here for. And so that, that to me was just the, 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 the greatest thing ever. And so regardless of where you are with your faith, I think if you, if you, if you read everything that Christ says and just write it down, uh, it, it will, it, I think it, I think it will really inspire you. Mm. That book has never been recommended before. So I appreciate that. That's really quite awesome. Thank you for sharing something so very personal. Now, uh, the final question for all of the guests, and I know this can be a difficult one because I'm asking for one piece of advice and you've already given us so much value, but based on all of the highs and all of the lows that you've experienced in your life, what one piece of advice would you want to leave people with? never waste a second never 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 take a moment for granted because you don't know when your when your time on earth is up and so you want to make the most of it and uh and you will always be content if you do that hmm Thank you so much for being here today. I'm going to say that I've lived one of your dad's lessons and values today, and that is to have fun and enjoy this. And I have thoroughly enjoyed this. <laughs> me as well, Coralis, me as well. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time to join us. Please say hello to Colleen and to your family. And thank you again for blessing us with the lessons of your father and for always being so generous with your time. Oh, totally. Again, my, my privilege and, and, and honor. It was wonderful to talk with you, Corliss. Okay, we'll be in touch soon. Take care, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode and it brought you value, make sure and share it with a friend or screenshot it and post it to your Instagram story or Facebook, tagging me at Corliss Co. I know the most precious of all commodities is your time, and I want to thank you all very much for spending this time with me today. Remember, you have the power to lead. Know your worth, embrace your value, see you have purpose, and be the leader you are meant to be.